I was confessing my sins earlier on, wasn't I, and saying what a grumpy old man I am. Well, my wife will tell you that um, God has a sense of humor because, you see, she loves walking. She really does love walking, and I'm a lazy blighter. And any excuse I can find for not walking, I, um, I dredge up. Oh, my knee, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. My ankles are hurting. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, me bunions, etc., etc. you know. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that seven miles was enough for anyone one evening. Seven miles. But because of the discovery that they made that Easter Sunday evening, those two disciples, Cleopas and his companions, my his companion. My, my, my mother-in-law always used to say that she believed it was Cleopas's wife. Well, was it? I don't know. Maybe it was. Anyway, Cleopas and his companion, whoever it was, made this incredible discovery, and it made them go straight back to Jerusalem, seven miles, 14 miles in one evening. That's incredible as far as I'm concerned. I love this story. Because there are so many parallels to our own experience. And I want to share three with you this morning. And they all begin with the letter D. And the first is disappointment. Disappointment. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? To be disappointed. To build yourself up and expect something to happen. And then find that it doesn't happen. Or, just as bad, to build yourself up and expect something to happen and something else that you don't want to happen happens. Like my experience when I stood on the scales the other day and I was convinced I'd lost three pounds and I discovered I'd gained four. Well, there you are, you see. Disappointment. Of course, there are much more serious disappointments. The phone call to tell you that you didn't get the job. The letter that comes telling you you failed the exam. The gradual knowledge that you've been passed over for promotion at work. The discovery that the person you thought you could trust not to betray you, the one person in all the world, has betrayed you. It's a terrible thing. Disappointment. First thing I want you to understand about the Easter message is that it can speak directly into that experience. Directly into that experience. You see, these two disciples we were hearing about just now, Cleopas and his companion, whoever he or she were, they were bitterly disappointed. They'd invested all their hopes for a better world in this one man, in the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd listened to him spellbound, They'd grown to love and trust him. He'd meant everything to them. And then they'd seen him nailed to a Roman cross, butchered there with his enemies whooping and shouting in triumph. No wonder they were disappointed. Okay, let's go on to the next heading, depression. Now, I, I hesitate to use that word because depression can, ca can cover a whole range of experience, can't it? It, it can refer to the kind of blue feeling that we have. We just get up in the morning and we don't feel very happy for no reason or seemingly no reason. It can, of course, 
refer to that awful weight, that crushing weight of near despair that weighs down upon you. And if anyone here feels like that, I would really counsel seek medical help because it can have a physical cause. And you mustn't feel ashamed of feeling like that. You must reach out and seek help because help is available. But that kind of crushing experience is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being in the same place as Cleopas and his companion. You see, they'd hoped something would happen, and it didn't happen. In fact, what they hoped would never happen had happened. The Bible says that they were talking with their faces downcast, and that's probably why they didn't recognize who the stranger was who'd quietly come up and joined them. We know it was there. Uh, we, we know who it was. It was the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. The fact was he was there, and they didn't recognize him. I wonder if we recognize who walks beside us. And this is the second thing I want you to note about the Easter message. No matter where we are, Whatever pain we have to face, because Jesus has conquered death and sin, like those two depressed disciples, we can share his company. We know he walks beside us. Oh, so often, people say to me, God seems so very far away. Yes, I can understand that experience. It's an experience, actually, that some of the greatest Christians ever have had the dark night of the soul. And please, God, if anyone feels like that, come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the elders because we need to pray with you, brother, sister. That's what we're here for. That's what family is all about, isn't it? Being together and being there for one another. But you see, so often we don't recognize who is there. I love the story about Karl Barth. You may not have heard of Karl Barth. Well, he was a great theologian, probably the greatest theologian of the 20th century. Someone once described him as a rock star of theologians. And he lived in Basel in Switzerland. And uh, one day he was traveling on a bus, and he was sitting next to a tourist. And being a friendly sort of chap, he, he turned to the tourist and he said... Uh, what do you hope to see in Basel? Is there anyone you come to see? Well, actually, said the tourist, I, I really would love to meet the great theologian, Karl Barth. Do you know him? And there was a twinkle in Karl Barth's eye, and he said, yes, yes, I do. I shave him every morning. And the tourist had to get off at that particular stop and went off and said to his friend, you never guess if I'm not on the bus this morning, Karl Barth's barber. <laughs> if he'd only known, if he'd only known that he was talking to the man himself. And if we would only understand that when God seems far away, actually he isn't at all, because he's not that kind of fella. He doesn't leave you in the lurch. He doesn't go away. Oh, sometimes we don't listen to what he says. Sometimes we don't take him seriously. But if we give him time, he will reveal himself. I came across this account of something that happened to a man called John Woolman. 
way back in the 18th century. He was a Quaker in early America. He lived from 1720 to 1720, uh, 1772. His chief claim to fame is that he was a steadfast opponent of slavery, and he traveled widely amongst the colonies, gently, lovingly trying to persuade his fellow Quakers to free their slaves. He was one of the very few white people in early America who realized that slavery was incompatible with the gospel. Well, of course, he faced considerable opposition, but he didn't give up. One night, he was staying in a Quaker home in Burlington, New Jersey. He was asleep in bed. It was a moonless night. He woke up in the middle of the night, and in the silence, he began to pray and meditate on the goodness of God. And as he did so, he seemed to hear a voice, not an audible voice. We're not talking about spooks. And it wasn't his own thoughts. It was something he was convinced came from the Holy Spirit. The, vo the voice said, certain evidence of divine truth. The words were repeated just once. Certain evidence of divine truth. Now, nothing more was said, but it was enough. It encouraged him in his ministry, and largely through his efforts, slavery was eventually eliminated amongst Quaker people in America. I think that's incredible, don't you? So easy to become downcast like poor old Cleopas and his companion and fail to recognize the presence of the risen Lord. Oh, there may be all kinds of reasons why we feel like that. We may be asking the wrong questions. We may not be taking the Bible seriously. I don't know whether you've uh, been listening to the BBC, um, the people's passion over the last few days. As I've been driving around, um, I've been listening to snatches of it. And there was one uh, scene where someone, it's, it's centered on a, a, a cathedral. Um, and um, there's one scene where I think someone who's um, a gentleman of the road, he goes into the cathedral because he wants to hear God speaking to him. And um, he says, so I listened, so I listened. And I didn't hear a word. And I said, it's all mumbo-jumbo. There's no one there. There's no one listening to me. There's no one speaking to me. So I got up and I walked out. And I wanted to grab the radio by the wires and, and, and enter into that scene, that mythical, that uh, hypothetical cathedral. And I wanted to grab a Bible and say, have you read this? <laughs> this is where he speaks to you. This is what he says. Oh, the people here in uh, Linfield have heard so often my story of when I was a 13-year-old boy, terrified because I was at boarding school and I thought I'd missed one of my pieces of sports kit. And in the school rules, it said, any boy missing part of his school kit will be, sports kit will be S-T-R-I-P-E-D and made to run, run, uh, run around the cross-country course. And I could never spell, and I didn't know whether it was striped or stripped, and I had this dreadful, dreadful feeling that I was going to be made to run around the cross-country course naked. Well, it was the 1960s, you understand, nearly the Victorian age. And God spoke to me through his word because I put my hand on my 
pocket, and there was my New Testament, my Gideon New Testament that I'd just been given. And there was a list of where to find help when, and I went to that list, Matthew chapter 5. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. If God so clothe the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And immediately after that, I found a notice that told me that if I was missing anything, I could go to the linen room 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon and matron would supply everything I needed. What a wonderful thought, matron supplying everything I needed. It's been the backbone of my life. That's matron over there. But you see, God spoke to me. He spoke to me. But you've got to read it, haven't you? You've got to know it. You've got to love it. It's got to be part of your life. And if it is, God will speak to you. He'll speak to you again and again and again. And the third D is discovery. They'd reached their destination. Jesus gave the impression he was going to go further. But they said, no, stay with us. Please stay with us. It's nearly evening and the day is almost over. In the authorized version, abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And what followed, of course, changed everything. And late in the evening as it was, Tired as they must have been after their seven-mile trek home, it made them take to the road again and go seven miles back to Jerusalem. Because as he took the bread and broke it, they realized who had been sitting there all the time. Oh, it couldn't be. We've just seen him die. No, it was him. No one breaks bread like that. In a moment, all the disappointment and depression fell away to be replaced by an incredible discovery. Jesus was alive. That's the great message of Easter. And the heart of the Christian faith, we may think the worst has happened through our own foolishness or the fault of others or simply because the way life has turned out, what we hoped for, longed for, hasn't happened. That's where Cleopas and his companion were. That's where one day you may be, where you may be there now. What I want you to understand is that even then you can know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. They recognized him. Why did they recognize him? Because they invited him in. The Bible says he made as if he was going further. Supposing they had allowed him to go further. Oh, they'd have heard eventually about the resurrection. In fact, they'd already heard about it. Some women of our company, you never trust women, do you? Well, they didn't. In those days, they didn't. The testimony of a woman was no good. That's the incredible thing, actually, about the New Testament, that it says that women are the first people to see Jesus, that the New Testament takes women seriously. So just remember that. But they didn't take them seriously. Some women of our company said that they'd had a vision of angels and that he, he was alive. But the men, the people you could trust, they didn't see him. So it can't be, can't be serious, can't be true. Supposing they'd gone home and let Jesus go further. They would never have discovered, would they, that he really was alive. But they had to invite him in. So what I'm saying to you, dear friends, this morning, 
is don't let him pass you by. Don't let him go further in your life. Say to him, Lord, come in and be my friend. Come in and be the most important person in my life. Come in and share my pain, my joy. Come in and share everything that I am and everything that I have. And he will. Because he said, the one who comes to me, I will never, ever turn away. What a tragedy it would be if you'd made the effort to come to church this morning and you missed the one person who can make every difference to your life, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about someone who's dead 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about someone who's alive now and who wants to be part of your experience just as he's been part of mine for a very, very long time.